0: Chapter 30 of Hellenic History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abayi in October 2019. Hellenic History by George Willis Botsford. Chapter 30 Hellenistic Culture Part 2. 1. Philosophy philosophic change the cynics it was but natural that the revolution in hellenic government and society since the fourth century should be accompanied by a corresponding change in philosophy all philosophic thought of the classic age had rested on two principles first the complete trust reposed in abstract thinking for the discovery of truth and second the perfect correspondence assumed between the inner man and the world without this correspondence was supported by a religion which peopled nature with souls like those of men it was partly this relation between the world and man which led the philosophers to believe that by mere thinking they could discover the principles of nature and partly the circumstance that philosophic thought was as yet in its infancy with its limitations unknown and the value of its products untested. With the breaking down of the city-state and of traditional religion, and the concomitant growth of individualism and humanism, philosophy, abandoning her original foundation, attempted to lay a new basis in the changed conditions of life. The ground had been prepared by Antisthenes of Athens, a disciple of Socrates, and an older contemporary of plato from his teaching in the gymnasium of the Sinosarges, his school was called cynic in his doctrine virtue is the only good vice the sole evil wealth social position honour and country are nothing a tattered mantle a piece of barley bread and water are all that a man needs We should renounce every bodily pleasure and comfort for the spiritual contentment derived from the exercise of virtue through the contempt of this school for convention for nearly everything mankind holds dear the word cynic has degenerated to its present meaning it is a strange thing that while the city-state was still strong antisthenes foreshadowed by a century or more those systems of thought that were to be founded upon the ashes of Hellenism. THE STOICS XENON FOUNDER OF THE SCHOOL In the Hellenistic age, while the members of the Cynic school degenerated to boorish and brutal tramp philosophers, its better elements were adopted by the Stoics. The founder of the school was Xenon, a Semite of Cyprus who had come to Athens There, for a time, he studied with the cynics, but ten years later he began to teach independently in the painted porch, Stoa Poikile, which gave its name to his school. His Semitic nationality shows itself, not in the content of his teaching, which is Hellenic, but in its utterance. Stoicism is less rational, more dogmatic than any previous philosophy. Zenon's object was the moulding of man's character to meet the difficulties of the world, and regardless of consistency he presented the doctrines suited to this end, implanting them in the minds of others less by reason than as the utterance of a prophet. It seemed to him, amid the wreck of religious and moral ideas formerly sustained by the city-state, that mankind needed a higher degree of individual self-sufficiency. To reach this end it is necessary, he taught, to train the will into conformity with nature, to desire only those things that are certain of realization independently of ourselves. In order to prove that this central doctrine is rational, and that it will assure happiness, Zenon developed a whole system of philosophy. It consists of three branches, logic, physics, and ethics. Logic includes a theory of knowledge. While the skeptics of his age were denying the possibility of knowing, Zenon insisted that we could accept as the truth all grasping impressions, the sense-perceptions that come to us with irresistible strength. Whereas to the acute thinker this dictum was childish folly, it sufficed for a common-sense philosophy. Logic included also everything connected with the expression of thought and feeling, from grammar to rhetoric and music, as well as the forms of reasoning. In this department the Stoics contributed little to existing knowledge. In physics, the study of nature, their most startling dogma is that everything is material, even God and the human soul. The qualities of objects, emotions, virtues and vices are all corporeal. In fact the purely practical object of his system seemed to him to demand that it be grounded upon ordinary experience which has to do primarily with material things. It is our common experience, too, that matter cannot move itself or take on living forms, nothing but a soul can bring about such changes. The world therefore has a soul this is god the reason and motive power of the universe he is a providence who in loving care watches over the world and every part of it who maintains it in physical and moral perfection everything in nature therefore is rational and good thus from physics we pass imperceptibly to ethics the soul of man is a part of the divine soul and a virtuous life is conformity to nature. Everything that exists is advantageous to man, even sickness, noxious animals, earthquakes and the like, they are intended for our education. Thus we are gradually led back to the central idea of Stoicism that happiness, the supreme good, is reached by conforming our will to the laws of nature, which are absolutely rational and just stoicism a religion stress should be placed on the fact that stoicism was a religion the only motive to right conduct conformity to nature is nothing more than submission to the will of god it is a pure monotheism the worship of one supreme being as he wishes only well for us and blesses but never harms we who are parts of him have no reason to fear him but should only revere and love. For this worship there is no need of altars or temples or images or even of prayer, but only of purity in life and thought. The gods of popular belief, with their foibles and vices, are creatures of the imagination, and the many myths are worthy only of contempt. To a certain extent, however, the Stoics compromised with popular faith. Just as the Christians grant the existence of angels and devils, the Stoics assume the activity of superhuman beings, called gods, but subject to the supreme being. In like manner, while repeating the literal content of myths, the Stoics were able to save them for a useful purpose, by giving them an allegorical interpretation. In this activity they were but extending an invention of earlier philosophies. Necessarily, their interpretations were fantastical. For example, Heracles was not merely a strong man, but a great philosopher. His slaying of monsters signifies his conquest of human vices, and when he leads the three-headed dog from the netherworld to earth's surface, he is merely bringing to light the three heads of philosophy, logic, physics, and ethics. The effect was to purify myth of all immoralities, and to preserve the traditional religion while endowing it with a wholly new meaning. EFFECTS OF STOICISM The trend of stoicism, while strengthening religious faith, was to make the individual self-sufficient, independent of all externals, human and material, and to give him an absolute mastery of himself he is lord of his own life and may put an end to it when he judges best though he may have been suddenly converted to stoicism it is possible to grow in character throughout life but only a few men of old such as socrates have attained to a perfection of virtue society too exists and the individual has social instincts which are natural and therefore good all the members of one body all the parts of one God, bound together in a common sympathy. In striving to benefit our fellows we do but obey a law of nature. While working out the problem of virtue, many Stoics were driven into seclusion or lived in a commonwealth of their own imagining, out of space and time, where no sordid ambitions or passions or human weaknesses found entrance, but all dwelt in perfect harmony and content others in the hope of impressing their fellow-men mingled in society or became statesmen and rulers their creed though appealing to the intellectuals rather than the mass has served us as a positive force in the history of thought and conduct it moulded roman law it contributed to the humanism of roman imperial times at various points it proved akin to christianity and much of it remaining in the ethics of today still makes for strength and stability of character scepticism in opposition to the stoics there were powerful forces of disintegration there were sceptics who while accepting appearances as such denied the possibility of real knowledge thoroughly typical of these disturbed conditions is the work of euhemerus of messana in a book called sacred inscription composed about 270 he pretended that on a visit to a distant island he found in a temple of zeus an ancient inscription which detailed the origin and doings of the gods it was there set forth that zeus was once a man who had distinguished himself as king and conqueror and had received divine worship in reward of his benefits and similarly that all the deities Apollo, Aphrodite, and the rest, were once human beings who had attained to fame and had been raised to the rank of gods in human opinion, whereas in fact they died like all other mortals and are no more. While undermining what remained of the traditional faith, this book supported the deification of kings which was coming into vogue at that time. Epicurus System of Philosophy The philosophic system, however, which is rightly set down as the opponent of Stoicism, was that of Epicurus the Samian, founded in 310. His school, like the Stoa, was materialistic. He accepted substantially the atomic theory of Democritus. Even the soul, he asserted, is material and dissolves at death. As it is mortal, we have nothing to fear from a future life gods exist, but not those of popular faith. The real deities live apart from the world in unalloyed happiness, caring nothing for the human race. In the Epicurean system, as among the Stoics, the whole superstructure is occupied by ethics. The supreme good is apparently the same in both philosophies, happiness. With Epicurus, however. Happiness is freedom from pain, or from fear, which is mental suffering. The aim was not hedonism, but quietism. Pleasures and pains differ in degrees, and in making choice, the wise men will aim to avoid the severest and the most lasting pains, and to seek the highest and the most permanent pleasures. The delights of sensation are coarse and transitory, those of mind exalted and lasting hence the wise man will choose poverty and bodily suffering if necessary to secure the highest pleasures the intelligent epicurean will be as virtuous as the stoic because through virtue he secures the utmost happiness the founder of the school was himself an admirable character and his object was undoubtedly to benefit his fellow-men his system though it has many points of likeness to stoicism Has been condemned by the tribunal of history. The reason is that it is essentially selfish. Individual man is his own all in all. Different from the Stoic, the Epicurean is subject to no spiritual ideal toward which he should strive. It is true that the system as originally taught produced a few eminently worthy characters, but its general effect has been demoralizing the doctrine of happiness was too readily perverted, and Epicureanism became synonymous with a love of eating and drinking, with gluttony and the coarsest pleasures. 2. Hellenistic Science Progress of Science Fortunately for the progress of science, the task which Aristotle set for himself, was not only the collection of facts and the organization of knowledge but also the direction of his pupils to individual fields of research his work continued therefore after his death an added impetus to the study of geography and astronomy of plants and animals to discovery and invention in general was given by the marches of alexander lastly the interest of the ptolemies in art and science devoted a goodly share of egyptian wealth to collections and institutions for the furtherance of scholarly and scientific progress founding of libraries one of the most necessary requisites to this work was the founding of a library under the earlier ptolemies a search for valuable manuscripts was made throughout the hellenic world and within a few years a collection was made of five hundred thousand books volumes rolls which in time was further increased this was the royal library the greatest in the ancient world a smaller collection was made in the temple of serapis Serapean. callimachus a peripatetic of cyrene three hundred ten to two hundred forty one of the chief librarians compiled a catalogue said to have filled 120 volumes, comprising the authors and their works in order. It included two short biographies of the authors and a few critical data for the valuation of the books. Briefer aids to the choice and use of books were added by various scholars. Other Hellenistic kings established libraries in their respective capitals, notably in Pergamum and Antioch none of which equalled that of Alexandria. THE MUSEUM OF ALEXANDRIA The Museum of Alexandria was an association of scholars and investigators, like the Academy and the Lyceum, formed nominally for the worship of the Muses. Their president was a priest appointed by the king, who assigned them quarters in his palace, a large hall, in which they took their meals in common. A garden with seats and an agreeable place for walking. The members received money for support from the king's treasury. Critical knowledge. Members of this association and other learned men in the Aristotelian spirit mapped out the fields of knowledge, which they vigorously cultivated according to their several tastes. Under grammar, nearly equivalent to our philology, may be included everything relating to the study of language and of literature scholars of whom we know scarcely more than the names wrote histories of the various departments of literature as the drama poetry and philosophy and biographies of famous authors a most valuable service was the comparison and criticism of manuscripts with a view to purifying the texts of errors and interpolations this textual criticism centered in the poems of Homer. It had begun as early as the fifth century, but the first scholarly edition of Homer was prepared by Xenodotus, the first librarian at Alexandria, two hundred eighty five to two hundred sixty. It put the text substantially in the form in which we read it today. The division of the Iliad and the Odyssey into books was made either by this scholar or by his immediate successors. In his judgment these were the only works of Homer, whereas others, the separatists, assigned the two poems to different authors. The texts of the classic poets and many prose-writers were similarly treated, and minute commentaries on the language and the subject-matter were prepared. Philology included also technical grammar, which had a relatively slow growth, prosody, and lexicons. The science-spirit of Alexandria was Aristotelian, whereas that of the rival Pergamene school was Stoic. The most famous master at Pergamum was Crates from Cilicia, contemporary and opponent of Aristarchus. The Stoic love of allegory, prominent in this school's interpretation of the poets, blurred their scientific perception this shortcoming is counterbalanced by greater attention to the subject-matter of literature rather than to textual criticism, and in general to the collection and organization of facts. Euclid For the progress of physical science a careful foundation in pure mathematics had to be laid. This service was performed by Euclid, Euclides, of Alexandria, who continued the mathematical studies of plato and the academy his chief work named elements still extant is a treatise on geometry so precise clear and logical that the moderns have been able to make little improvement upon it any textbook in geometry now studied in our schools is euclid's elements with unimportant modification archimedes Most inventive was Archimedes of Syracuse, two hundred eighty seven to two hundred twelve. His main interest was in pure mathematics, in the exact measurement of the circle, the sphere, the cone, conoids, spheroids, and the cylinder. In some of his operations, he has anticipated the principle of integral calculus, and in his applied mathematics, he reveals a command of the principles of higher algebra his work in applied science though in his own judgment subsidiary was in fact epoch-making he discovered a means of computing the specific gravity of objects and of determining the centre of gravity of complex forms he invented engines for hurling great missiles with which his fellow-citizens long kept at bay the besieging romans the helix for launching great ships and conveying other heavy weights pumping engine, and other useful machines. In the application of power, Archimedes and other ancient mechanics made use of water, compressed air, pneumatics, with levers, screws, and cogged wheels. Some inventions added to the conveniences of life, such as water-mills, automatic door-openers, washing-machines. Others were for entertainment, including fountains adorned with automatically moving figurines, and an automatic theatre in which the figures performed their parts through five complicated acts. Eratosthenes The advance of mathematical and mechanical study inevitably led to a development of astronomy and of mathematical geography. The first Hellenistic master of this field was Eratosthenes of Cyrene, Two hundred seventy five to one hundred ninety five, the successor of Callimachus as chief librarian at Alexandria. There he was able to study the heavens in an observatory patterned after those of ancient Babylon. His most celebrated achievement was the computation of the circumference of the earth by means of sun dials placed at Syene and Alexandria, five thousand stadia apart he determined the positions of the sun from these two points and with the angle thus formed he computed the earth's circumference at two hundred fifty thousand stadia which is a seventh part in excess of the true distance of twenty five thousand english miles he wrote a history of geography from homer to his own day in which he recognized the limitations of earlier authors it included his own map of the world with an explanation of it In which he expressed the possibility of reaching India by sailing west across the Atlantic, providing the distance should not prove too great an obstacle. His achievements were vast and so accurate that until the beginning of modern times no improvements were made upon them except in the correction and addition of minor geographical details. Aristarchus of Samos Ptolemaic System. No long time afterward Aristarchus of Samos, circa 280 brought astronomy to the highest reach attained by the ancients. He discovered that the volume of the sun is many times greater than that of the world. It was this fact that led him ultimately to the conclusion that the earth annually revolves round the sun in the circumference of a circle, in the center of which the sun remains fixed. The discovery was too brilliant for acceptance, and the theory of the spheres continued with an important modification. Instead of assigning a plurality of spheres to the planet, it was found more practicable to assume that each planet moved in a little circle whose center lay in a larger circle surrounding the earth. This theory of epicycles, circles upon circles, prevailed and was accepted by the Egyptian Claudius Ptolemy, an encyclopedic compiler of sciences who flourished in the 2nd century AD. After him it came to be known as the Ptolemaic system, and held its place till overthrown by Copernicus, 1473-1543. to 1543. Zoology and Botany the permeation of egypt and western asia by the greeks brought to their knowledge a vast number of animals and plants hitherto unknown to them and the ptolemies maintained a zoological garden at alexandria in spite of these opportunities however zoology and botany failed to make an appreciable advance beyond the works of aristotle and theophrastus people had but a curious interest in animals whereas botany was more vigorously studied as an auxiliary to medicine a limited number of plants and animals had to be taken into account in scientific agriculture horticulture beekeeping and stock breeding all of which were diligently cultivated the loss of all the books in these fields with the exception of a few fragments has left us ignorant of hellenic intelligence in one of its most useful departments vivisection the growth of civilization and the urbanization of mankind makes an ever-increasing demand upon the physician for hygienic regulations and for the cure of new diseases acquaintance with the egyptian custom of embalming expelled from the minds of greek physicians their last scruples against the dissection of the human body for the first time in history vivisection was practised on condemned criminals furnished to the physicians by the Egyptian king. The result was an advance in anatomy and physiology which made an epoch in the history of medical science. Difficult and dangerous surgical operations could now be performed without pain to the patient, for anaesthetics were now known and administered. Herophilus, his great achievements in medical science the leading physician of this age was herophilus of chalcedon whose achievement was to bring medical science to a height never exceeded by the ancients much of the progress summed up in the preceding paragraph was due to him he discovered that the brain is the seat of the mind and that the nerves branching out from the brain and the spine are the medium for the conveyance of sensation and will-power respectively. His study of the eye is noteworthy. In his diagnosis of ailments, for which he was especially famous, he discovered the value of pulsation, which became the chief criterion of the patient's condition. Whereas other physicians believed that the arteries were normally filled with air, Herophilus discovered that they contain blood, which they convey from the heart to all parts of the body in other words he discovered substantially the circulation of the blood without neglecting diet and exercise for the cure of illness he laid great stress on drugs especially vegetable medicines as the hands of god unfortunately herophilus was too far in advance of his age to find complete acceptance the most eminent physician after him erasistratus of Sios insisted that the arteries were normally filled with air and that the presence of blood in the arteries is a system of illness in other respects he made actual improvements upon herophilus as in his greater stress on hygiene and his clearer distinction between sensory and motor nerves opposed to the teachings of these eminent scientists were the empiricists who rejecting all reason depended wholly on experimentation there were charlatans too as at present and despite all intellectual progress incubation and magical cures persisted three hellenistic literature new literary treatment for an appreciation of the artistic literature it is necessary to take account of the general environment Especially the intense urbanization of the Greeks, the growth of libraries, the keen interest in science and erudition. The mental attitude was essentially an appreciation of the past and an effort to master its vast intellectual treasures. The originality of the age, the achievement of adding to the accumulated store of knowledge, has been seen in its scientific discoveries and mechanical inventions. In literature, we shall find analogous efforts, manifested in imitations of the past, and in the working out of new problems suggested by the greatly changed environment. It was inevitable that the polite literature should taste of erudition, that it should be laboured and pedantic. The generality of men, however, who lived in a highly artificial atmosphere, longed for diversion and rest, the freshness of nature, and at the same time the spirit of science was experimenting with emotions hitherto but little used. Far from being decadent, therefore, the period saw the beginning of a new literary treatment of nature and men. The novel element in nature is the environment of common people, of shepherds, ploughmen, and charcoal-burners, refreshed with the dew and clear in the sunlight of morning. The new force in humankind is romantic love between man and woman. Theocritus, Sicilian poet. These are prominent features in the Sicilian Theocritus, about 305 to 250, the last Greek classic and the first and greatest of Hellenistic poets. His creation, the Idyll, is a short poem exquisitely wrought it possesses a wide range of character epic lyric and dramatic preferably his ideals treat of common persons in rural scenes and hence have been described as pastoral though he lived his later years at the court of the ptolemies he drew his inspiration from the lovely air and the beautiful landscapes of sicily which wafted through his sweet poems refreshing breezes with delicious memories of cool shade of green fields and radiant flowers into the dusty streets and arid studios of alexandria callimachus whereas theocritus stands at the threshold of alexandrian life callimachus occupies its inmost shrine already noticed as chief librarian and a man of vast learning he is equally conspicuous as a poet of stupendous productivity. His own writings are said to have filled 800 books, rolls. Of all these works there remain a few hymns and epigrams. The hymns are courtly, composed for royal occasions. With great talent the author creates brilliant effects for their own sake. Doubtless there is feeling in the poet, but it is hidden in the elaborate apparatus of his song at the same time he was proclaimed the greatest master of elegy this form of poetry was used for the expression of sentiment on all subjects and in this age particularly mythical tales of love the epigrams show him to better advantage they are in the elegaic metre but are short and highly polished Usually the epigram expresses an occasional sentiment of the author on any subject that attracted his attention. A large anthology of epigrams, which has been preserved, includes the contributions of many unknown and anonymous poets. They are a valuable source for social conditions and sentiments. Didactic Verse The Romantic Epic in didactic verse the spirit of scholarship prevails the aim is to teach and the lines are without imagination or charm this kind of poem remained dead till the roman lucretius endowed it with life and power quite different is the romantic epic represented by the argonautica of apollonius an emigrant from alexandria to rhodes this work is a long narrative of a popular myth the quest for the golden fleece in this respect it is an imitation of the past an echo from homer in his presentation of medea's love for jason the analysis of its origin and growth and conflict with duty the author has created a new theme but one oft treated from that day to this although the poet lacked the genius for making it a success The work has a value in illustrating the intellectual efforts of the period and in the suggestion it offered to Virgil for his Aeneid an incomparably superior work. End of chapter thirty End of hellenic history by George Willis Botsford.